0: Secession.
1: Podcast. Artists.
0: The production of this podcast was made possible by the kind support of the Dorotheum.
1: Welcome to our Secession podcast series. I'm very happy to be sitting here with Charlie Proger today. My name is Jeanette Pacha. I'm a curator at Secession. It's December 1st, the day after the opening. Mm-hmm.
0: Welcome, Charlie. Hi, thank you. Thanks for having me. It's lovely to be chatting with you. Thank you for offering this.
1: I'm really very happy about that. Offering, that was one thing I wanted to ask you. The title of your show here is called The Offering Formula. We haven't had a chance really to talk about this yet. So what what are you, what about, uh, what, the-, what about the title? Yeah,
0: so a lot of my titles are kind of, some of them relate quite directly to the works that they are naming and some of them are much more oblique. I have in my phone a list of titles which is ongoing that for works that don't exist yet so it's sometimes it's oh, conversations I overhear like a little snippet from an over conversation I overhear or something that I just you know think about when I'm just waking up, like half dreaming or something, or something that I've read in like a book of fiction. So I've got this ongoing list of titles and the offering formula is the title of one of the drawings in the show, the drawing that's on The Invitation, as you know, which Mm -hmm. is a drawing of my box of hard drives. All of my hard drives are in this box and the hard drives contain all of my work basically all of the files, working files for all of the work that I've made over the last I'd say 20 years and I name those hard drives you have to name hard drives it's just a practical thing because if you have a lot of them If you don't name them, it's just a list of numbers. And then when you look at them, they all look the same. Mm -hmm. So it's a practical thing to give them names. So I tend to name them after female or female-identifying figures, alive or dead, people that I feel influenced by. So like musicians or writers or artists that I want to have in my daily working orbit Mm And so I write the name in Sharpie on the hard drive of the, you know, I name the hard drive, I write the name on it, and then I also wrote it. It's on the list. It's a list of names on the top of the, on the lid of the box. It's a clear plastic box. So that's just a functional, you know, system. I did a drawing of the box of hard drives, and I guess I think of it as a kind of self-portrait because it's a self-portrait in data, It's kind of existential and a lot of the work that I've been doing, well, a lot of my work is about conservation. I'm really fascinated by processes of conservation and preservation, Mm -hmm. whereby permanence and entropy are held in kind of perpetual balance and it's this constant chase to evade obsolescence this is particularly pertinent i think for artists that are working a moving image because the formats become obsolete very quickly mm. and i built that into the formal vocabulary of my work so you see that quite concretely in stoner and Mullen trail at the start where there's this uh, sequence of the deteriorating mini DV mm. tapes that i have so That title of that drawing is The Offering Formula. And I guess uh, a few years ago, I did a hieroglyphics evening class. I'm very interested in language and the relationship between language and materiality. And I've always been very interested in hieroglyphics. And so uh, I did an evening class a few years ago. And a lot of at Glasgow University and a lot of what we were reading were one of the things that we were tra- we were translating, we were learning to read and speak hieroglyphics, hieroglyphics. Yeah. And, um, yeah, and translate them. And a lot of the things that you're translating, a lot of the documents that have survived are government documents, basically mm-hmm. our tomb funeral stealers. And one of the documents that we were translating was the offering formula, which is this kind of formula which would be on the tomb, on top of a tomb, and it's basically kind of instructions for, it's a series of, you know, it's a hieroglyph a system of instructions for how to pass through to the afterlife. So I guess in a way, I was kind of thinking about the, the box of hard drives a little bit tomb-like in that sense, mm-hmm. because it's quite existential. It has all of this data. And yeah, it's a, it was a bit oblique, but it seemed right. For the drawing, sometimes the title just seems right, and then it just seemed. I, I just it felt right as a as a title for the show in that sense as well.
1: Wow. Well, thank you for sort of sharing that because I think it's really interesting to find out like where it comes from and gives the drawing, but also the show another layer of information. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah.
1: To me, it's yeah. Yeah. Exactly.
0: mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: You've been talking about this drawing now, and that's something that's quite new in your artistic practice, as I understand. Yeah. So you um, here it's a session we're showing. I think six. Yeah. Six drawings, beautiful drawings, which you've made just recently. Mm-hmm. So maybe you would like to sort of tell us a little bit how you sort of like the motives. Yeah. One series is called Data Migration. Yeah. But just in general, like, first of all, how do you sort of come to this next step in your in your artworks of, like, going to a very analogue format and yeah. practice?
0: Yeah. So basically, I mean, I always liked drawing, but I never drew in depth before this. I mean, I did do life drawing at art school, and I enjoyed that. Actually, I applied to art school with... Um, I did some drawing at school, high school. I wasn't very I was very distracted at school and so I didn't do very well in anything and I was I was told that I wouldn't get into art school and I probably wouldn't have at that stage because I didn't really have many qualifications. So I applied later on to art school and I was in Edinburgh and I was living I was working as a life model actually at the art school full time. I did for 2 years full time and um So I started then to learn a bit about art. Like I remember someone, you know, a friend telling me what an installation was. And this was like in the early 90s, you know. And um, so I started to be around art more because I was a life model and you're like right in the middle of it all and a drawing you. (laughs) And then I started to do, I joined a printmaking studio and I started to, And I made a portfolio myself. I didn't do a foundation course, so I did a portfolio myself to apply to art school in Dundee. And I lived with um, a woman at that point who had been to art school years before. She was older than me. And she was like, oh, you're applying to art school. And I'd done these print, you know, I was working a lot with text at that time. Mm -hmm. I was inspired a lot by ACT UP, for example, and Jenny Holzer I was working a lot with text, and it was very political. But my friend that I lived with who had been to art school, she said to me, you're going to need some life drawings to put in with your portfolio, because they're going to expect that. And I was like, oh, okay, I don't have any. I've not done life drawing. And she was like, I'll give you mine. <laughs> and so she gave me her some of her life drawings to put in to her portfolio, which I did. And... Um, Of course, I went to the interview and they didn't even look at them. So when I got to art school, I did do some live drawing and enjoyed it. But it wasn't really a big part of my practice, I guess, because I just got... I do believe it's important in art schools for people to do drawing. But I guess I just got subsumed into other formats and mediums. But I've always done the technical drawings, for example, for my when I used to make more sculptural My monitor installations, I would do the technical drawings for those, and I would really, I really enjoyed it. And I guess part of me that then used to think, Oh, I like how it feels to do this. You know, it's really calming and um, grounding. Anyway, so I used to do that. And then I did Turner Prize in Venice at the same time, and I was working with a lot of people in doing that. You know, inherently, it is, that's how it is to do something of that scale. And it's quite a lot for me to, like, work with a lot of people. I find that quite a lot. You're talking about, like,
1: the install in Venice or, just involving the, a lot of people because entire... filmmaking is always involving oh, Well,
0: yeah, I mean, I guess more the entire project. Right. You know, it's a very specific thing, as you probably know, to do that. It's like it just involves a huge... There's a lot of infrastructure and then, usually with films, I'm usually making them on my own. Mm. So, Stoney Mullen Trail and Bridget, the first two in the trilogy that are showing downstairs, I did make pretty much on my own. I mean, I had a bit of, I was working a little bit with people, but not very much, you know. Whereas, SAFO 5 that I made for Venice, I did work with more people. And um, because of the nature of the piece, after that, I wanted to step back from. Making films to do and write, just write, like strip all the tools back so that you just have one tool and just write. And then I started to think that I wanted to do drawings. And it's not just from, I will make a film again. I just needed a break from it. But it's not just the filmmaking, it's also just in general the passwords and everything, like the world, the digital, the rapidly evolving digitization of the world, I find quite overwhelming. So like I'm not, I don't really care about having a million apps and, you know, it's just a lot for me personally as a person, the password thing and everything. So I just started to want to just draw, actually. I I think it was an act of withdrawal, you know, in a way. And also I'm interested in it because it's a way to get, I think of drawing as a way to get closer to objects. And I enjoy that materiality and also precision, I guess, the drilling down into the image. So I don't think of it as so different from my editing processes in my film, which I go really deep into. I edit my films and I go very, very deep into the frame by frame. I really love that kind of frame by frame materiality I do think that um, for me filmmaking is a very material process Mm -hmm. so yeah I think the drawings does relate in that way but it is a very new thing for me yeah Mm -hmm. like in the last less than a year I started to do that and yeah it's interesting what you
1: say because when listening to you there were sort of like a couple of different threads that I could also sort of refer to or like the, when you were talking about the way you edit or how you make your films, that you often have been working on your own, like filming, like Bridget that you filmed on your on oh, your phone, yeah. and but then like this decision or something that came to you, maybe is now in a times where sort of like this digitization yeah. is sort of like everywhere, and yeah. you sort of have the in our everyday lives, it's hard to sort of get away from it often. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that you sort of say, okay, I just want to be able to work with some tool that's available sort of really easily. And at the same time, you're writing. To me, it's sort of something that really sort of... I don't know if it's actually connected, but I do see a connection between these two practices, and me too. So I find it exciting. You, you are you working on a book, or what are you doing? I
0: hope, I hope so. It's still quite embryonic. I, I would like to write a book. It's always been at the center of my work, writing, and it's all the way through my videos, my writing, autobiographical writing. And I guess I write in these kind of, they're like vignettes or fragments. What I'm really interested to do is to flesh out that kind of autobiographical writing, and flesh it out. And it's hard for me to describe, because it doesn't really exist yet, what kind of book or writing this would be, but I imagine I mean, certainly the the kind of writing that I read the most, I would say, is short stories. I'm very it's a format that I mm-hmm. really enjoy and I'm interested in. And so, I guess what I'm what I'm attempting to do at the moment is to take those fragments and flesh them out into kind of short story form. So, not an artist book, but you know, a book book really in a way. I'm interested in. The relationships and the tensions between different mediums, um, why you would use one for a particular thing and not another. And I'm really kind of interested in those relationships, if that makes sense. hmm I think there is a relationship between drawing and writing, I think you're right. It's, it's quite, it's one tool. You know, it's a narrow, the point is narrow, do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like if you were
1: working on text or working on like a short story and at the same time
0: filming or, I don't know, it would... I can't do them at the same yeah. time, yeah. Mm-hmm. Is that what you mean? Sorry. Yeah, I just think it, I mean, I'm filming all the time on my phone anyway. That's just how I am. Yeah. But that's how I That's how I accumulate material. But yeah...
1: No, it was just like in my imagination, it was it's sort of like to be drawing in the way you sort of like these really meticulously made pictures. Mm-hmm. And as you said, like the it brings you closer to objects mm-hmm. because you just have to look so mm-hmm. close. Mm-hmm. And what you've been depicting in this one series is like uh, the record sleeves mm-hmm. and then on top of them, are the CDs mm-hmm. w- of the same Perfect album. album. Yeah. And I imagine that like this working process when you're working on text as I, you know, I see a similarity also mm. to the, the film editing, but mm. it's just like a different kind of tool that you're mm. using. But also there I could, I sort of would sort of see you sort of working, sort of sculpting out the text mm. in mm. a way, how you work mm. also with the drawings. That's mm. why I, to me, it sort of seemed like this, there's this closeness.
0: Yeah, I think it is like that. Yeah, because a lot of my work is about detail. And so the writing, what I write about is these kind of moments and I might focus on a very small, seemingly insignificant moment and focus on the detail of that. And I think a lot of the content in my work is displaced to subject. So I describe a situation rather than describe my feelings in that situation and that's a lot of the writers short story writers that I like this kind of maybe kind of what might have been called minimalist short story writing is what I like and I think this similarly about the drawings so there is an emotional dimension of course to the videos but I don't think I describe my emotions in the videos I think I want to allow the viewer to feel to give the viewer space for emotions by maybe creating certain phenomenological textures between image and sound. So I guess one of the things that's challenging about writing is and I'm interested in this because I like to I tend to change kind of medium every few years and I do that partly I think to challenge myself or to feel out the edges of particular, Mediums. And so maybe one of the things that will be challenging about writing only writing is that there won't be any of that what I think of as the kind of amniotic fluid of which is in my videos, which is images and sounds. you know, the, the text, the voiceover is floating. Or embedded in these images and sounds, so there's a lot going on around the voiceover, and I think that's the affect, a lot of the affect is in that soup that they're in. Mm -hmm. Whereas with writing, you don't have that; you just have the writing, and I'm really interested in how that will feel.
1: Yeah, that's a good point because a lot of your films and the the showing of of your films is like also you were making this movement with your hands right now, um, which is sort of like enclosing, sort of like as if you're holding. And holding, yeah. So when you're, as a visitor, watching the films, you enter a space, it's actually, it's like a minimalistic film room Mm. sculpture. Mm. And that really does, is created or is designed to sort of hold and also the the way that the sound Mm. Travels inside of there to keep it like really contained and but soft and or sharp. Here, it's it's a session we're now showing or you're now showing for the first time in this since you have completed the trilogy, all three films like in a row. Yeah, it's interesting that it, that hasn't happened so far. You know, you've conceived it as a trilogy. So, what's the experience yeah.
0: like to- So, I guess people have asked before whether I conceived of it as a trilogy when I started making it. So, those films are between 2015 and 2019. I didn't conceive of it as a trilogy until I finished it. I think I realized when I was making S.O. 5, towards the end of making S.O. 5, this is an ending... This is a definitely an ending, this film. It's an ending of sorts. The trilogy has endings all the way through it. And I realized it was the end of the that trilogy and that things would change after that. So it was wanting for a few years to show them together, but it needed to be the right situation. And this felt like the right situation, the right moment, and the right place, secession, to give space to the viewer to be able to be with the work and yeah in terms of the way that I make the space is very important to me the way that the space is constructed because thinking about the body in relation to the work and this idea of the kind of amniotic fluid I think of the inside of the video as you know the way that the space is constructed for my single channel videos the same every time Mm -hmm. so we've developed this kind of format and it is basically based on a cinema space. So you to make the optimum conditions possible for image and sound so that the viewer forgets about their body in a way. Because it's very important for me that the viewer is able to be extremely comfortable and relaxed when watching the work, partly so that they can experience the the kind of materiality of image and sound in a way so that they're comfortable when they're watching it kind of like a baby like and I do think of the space as Mm womb-like and often people lie down Mm -hmm. and just put their bag under their head when they're watching it and I, I want to allow them to be able to do that so that they kind of forget their body in the way that you do in the cinema
1: yeah I was just thinking of like there are these at the film museum in Vienna yeah and I'm just sort of looking for that title. There was the director of the Film Museum of decades ago, mm. sort of when referring to the cinema mm. as a space, sort of like talking of this, I don't know, something like the blacked-out theatre, mm. so where mm. it's really about sort of like the space is... It's important how the, the space is designed mm. so that people, when they're in go to the cinema, they're just sort of like just with the film and forget everything, yeah. sort of everything Sort else of sort suspended. Of, yeah. yeah. And there was, I was just sort of thinking of that, he had a term that
0: he coined. Ah, oh, um, okay. But it's, I have to, th- um, Yeah, it'll come back to me. Yeah, I'd like to hear, yeah. yeah. I think it's about, for me it's about kind of internal, entering an internal space somehow. It's very intimate. I agree it's important to provide
1: for that kind of situation if you want people to really sort of sit and enjoy and and follow through the films, because there are intimate sort of moments also, as you were sort of saying, like the material that you've been recording, but then also Mm. the voice, Mm. and sometimes it's very softly spoken, Mm. or you have in SAF05, for instance, then you have sort of like also different levels
0: of... The discomfort.
1: Of yeah, yeah. A speech. It's different levels of discomfort, but this for different levels of speech as well, so of like yeah. the voiceover, but then also you sort of sometimes giving instructions. and Yeah. So you have the film, but also the filmmaking yeah. coming together. Yeah, and Sarah mm-hmm. Hayden writes beautifully yeah. about that, doesn't she,
0: in Absolutely. the publication. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I think it's about creating a... Sit- Optimum conditions for image and sound so that these different layers can be experienced. And also I am interested in discomfort as well. So some moments in my film are very slow and kind of still, and then there are these moments that are very loud. and I'm interested in pushing pushing the viewer quite to the edge of discomfort. Before I made Stony Mullen Trail, which was my first single channel video, really. I was making, as you know, these installations which I would, with video monitors and them CRT monitors on these video stands. And I would show them in daylight rooms. That's what I wanted. And so I would use the, there would be these different elements, different monitors with different, you know, stuff on them. And it was very sculptural. So I would use space to create relationships between these different, almost like characters in the room because they're very anthropomorphic, mm-hmm. these video sculptures. And then when I uh, made Sonny Mullen Trail, again, it was a challenge because I knew that, well, it was, you know, I wanted the challenge because then it, you just have one screen. And so that you have to use time rather than space to create different, relationships between different components within the film because you don't have space. You just, everything is collapsed on top of one another on the same pictorial plane. So I was interested in that challenge. But I actually found it very liberating moving to the single channel screen. And when I moved into these dark spaces, my work became much more, much, much more personal.
1: Yeah, it's like creating a, a zone that you go into, isn't it? And yeah,
0: almost like a private space, actually, somehow.
1: Yeah, but well, I'm curious to sort of, like, see how the show will be sort of received Yeah. and the, the trilogy, because it's like a, I think it's more or less a two-hour yeah. loophole together, but where people have the information when the films start so yeah. I mean I know that there's a lot of interest already I've been people have been asking me all the time so yeah I'm really curious myself and I'll pass on yeah yeah yeah. Yeah, and I do agree. I think that Sarah did write a beautiful text, and especially the way that she was, you know, talking about voice and voiceover and yeah. sound in your videos, and the precisely the her language that she's using has this rhythm and. Yes. Um, and I th- I just think it's a very nice uh, way of corresponding.
0: To yeah, me work. too. Yeah, yeah. It's been a honor. Oh, it's always an honor to have when someone does such a deep dive into the work and like I was saying to you just now before we started how when people write about your work and say something that you haven't yourself said you know it really activates the work for me when people write about it and then I learn something new about the work as it's reflected back to me okay. and really that's very meaningful I think for a lot of artists mm-hmm. and it's sort of one of the reasons you make work because you push it outside of yourself then into the world and it has new meaning. That's
1: one part of working here as a curator. The, mm. One of the surpluses is that we do get to sort of like talk to a lot of people or often when especially students come in from art schools and so on and have discussions so that's one of those moments when you sort of do have the chance to sort of hear about different perspectives and or how people are perceiving uh, the,
0: the work so yeah in a way the curator yeah it's like you're sort of um how do you put it like a sort of um conductor of Context, new context, like re- the the context around the work, or a kind of you get to hear a lot of the stuff, the sort of contingent stuff, maybe mm-hmm. that we the more casual stuff that the artist might not hear because you're it's in it's here in this institution, then we've gone, and then it's nice.
1: Sometimes, yeah, it does happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'll keep you posted. <laughs> yes, on thanks, that, Jeanette, well. the, <laughs> yeah, thanks, Jeanette. and yeah. Thank you for coming in. It's a and pleasure. For your generosity. Thank you. It has been a nice talk, and I hope we continue.
0: Yeah, thank you so much. It was lovely chatting to you. Thanks. Thank you for all your work and all the care that you've taken and continue to take of everyone's work. Thank and thank you again. This session.
1: Podcast Artists.
0: The production of this podcast was made possible by the kind support of the Dorotheum.